Hello and welcome to the podcast Invest in You for people just like you who are interested in developing themselves, investing in yourself. And today we've got a guest from America and we also have uh, Ivan on the call. So Veronica Karas, uh, welcome to the Invest in You show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. And yes, all the way across the pond, although I think I would rather be where you guys are right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we are uh, kind of in the mood of, of a white Christmas. Uh, the snow came and went and it will come back again. Most likely, yes. Yeah, I was delighted to see lots of snow yesterday and then when I woke up in the morning it was gone. But you never know. I jumped into the lake today. Uh, it was a bit chilly. Although I hear those um, cold plunges are really good for you and your I health. heard the same. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned, yeah, yeah before I, we somebody started. Somebody at one yeah. point challenged me to take five-minute cold showers, and I couldn't do that, so I'm not yeah. jumping into a freezing lake anytime soon. But I'm in New York. We did have a lot of snow. Um, can't enjoy it much because 2020, but it was yes. nice. <laughs> That's so true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Veronica, tell us, for the people who have no idea where you are from, we have got listeners in 118 countries so far and counting. That's amazing. So That's amazing. Who are, who are you? <laughs> so I'm a financial advisor. I'm author of the Money Matters series of books, of which there are two now. So it's Money Matters, Everything You Should Have Learned in School But Didn't, and Money Matters, Merging Lives, Merging Finances. Um, I also do a lot of financial literacy work. I'm a senior leader for Tony Robbins, as we talked about right before yep. this. And I rescue dogs in my free time. All right. <laughs> so. We love dogs. At least border terriers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, we're kidding. He, he was just roaming around the room here. Hopefully he won't bark at us as we, <laughs> as we carry on. So uh, yeah. tell us uh, more about the aspect of helping others with the finance. What brought you into that? Yes, I kind of um, fell into it based on my personal history. So my family came to the United States as Jewish refugees in the early 90s from Belarus, which now everybody knows because they've had a lot of protests, but before it was sort of the unknown country of the world. Um, And we came here in the early 90s. My grandfather, after, you know, four or five, maybe six years, was able to bring some money over from Belarus. My grandparents ran a mental institution there, in case you wanted to know where the fun dinners are. Um, And, you know, at some point, my grandfather brought some money over. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but he walked into a local bank. And he was talking to the only Russian speaking person there who sold him, you know, nine annuities, which are, you know, insurance products across a very relatively small amount of money. And they were terrible. It was like guaranteed 1% return and guaranteed 3% annual fees. So you were losing money (laughs) just saying it. Guaranteed to lose money, basically. And maybe an upside of 1%. Yeah. Minus tax. And so, um, you know, around the time I was 16, 17, my grandfather was like, hey, you've been working in the United States for a few years now. Can you tell me what this is since you understand the financial system? You know, I started looking into it. I had a great um, economics teacher at the time who kind of helped me figure it out and taught me all about it. And by the time I realized what happened, I realized, you know, uh, somebody had just taken advantage of, uh, of an older immigrant 
gentleman and it was really unfortunate, high surrender charges, all of that. In fact, the last of those annuities we were able to finally unravel last year and take the money out of Painful. because of the yep. charges. And I just wanted to figure out how and what in our legal system and financial system allows people to do that. And so, you know, I kind of figured it out through time and have become committed to like the one, to being the person in the industry that like doesn't, you know, helps the family, save somebody else's grandfather yep, and family, yep. the heartache. You know, I say my grandpa is now 80, uh, 82 and still working, um, which could have been totally different if he was just invested properly. So that's how I started. Yeah, yeah that, that's, uh, that's a quite, quite a journey to get you to where you are. I work a lot <laughs> with financial advice, which is not financial advice. So I work with lots of financial IQ, but I'm not a formally uh, uh, financial. In, in the United Kingdom, you need to be very much chartered financial advisor. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have not bothered to do that qualification. And I also very much have the caveat that I'm not giving financial advice. This is just for education and recreational purposes. And, and uh, let's keep keeping on that tone as well. So I uh, love to work. I've got a couple of different businesses working in the real estate space as well as uh, finance. So I love what you are working with. So yeah, <laughs> love to dig deep into that. Ivan. What have you learned about money in school over the last few years that springs to mind? Pretty much nothing. And by the way, I think the dog just joined the podcast in the yeah. distance. But yeah, I don't think school prepares us at all yeah. for, so, for the real world. Have they spoken about like credit cards in school? No. Have they spoken about mortgages? No. Credit score? No. Saving? Well, yeah, a tiny bit. Working hard, uh, get a good grade so you can get a good job. Yeah, more along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah, so that's a big passion project of mine. I realized it's not just, you know, immigrant families. Nobody learns anything about finance in so school, true. right? It's not taught, it's not yeah. curriculums, and not just in Sweden, but um, in the US as well. And, you know, in the US, especially, we have a huge debt crisis with student loan debt. I know this is like well-known information. And I think a large part of it is because when kids take out loans for schools, let's say it's $50,000 a year, they're not taught at being 17 years old what $50,000 a year in student loans at a 6% rate of interest yeah, yeah. compound to over their lifetime. They're like, okay, 50,000, I guess like this is just what I have to do, get into a really good college and then my future is set up for me. But you know, maybe this an example in the United States, for instance, teachers are get teachers get paid something like 65 to $85,000 a yep. year, depending on where you teach. If you, you have to have a master's degree to teach. So let's say you went to a basic state college in the United States, and then you went to a state school for your master's program, that would cost you to become a teacher approximately $300,000. If you're getting paid $65,000 a year, yes. and you still have to live, and you have to pay your student loans, you're going to be paying it for the rest of your life. Yeah. So basically, it, if the interest rate is roughly 6%, it's not like an average. And how much are you required to pay back? Is it like 4% per year or? You're required to pay back. Uh, we do have pay as you earn as a yeah. student loan payment program. So 10% of your net income. Yeah. 
is what you're required to pay back. So the figure, if you're making 65,000 a year, maybe you net 50,000. So it's something like, you know, 5,000 a year that you're required to pay back, maybe slightly yes. less, but still it's sort of like yeah, it's, if it's 5,000 a, big, a big year, one. your $300,000 in debt is just going to keep going up. Yeah, uh, I personally did, as, to, as for the audience sake, I did study quite a lot at university, accumulated three degrees, but I have never only studied and I never had one dollar in, in student debt. And, and then the very little debt that my wife had, we just paid off when we were in our early 20s. And it was not much at the time, it was less less than 10,000. Uh, and that, that's been really nice just to not have that factor in our life uh, for different reasons. Of course, it sets you up for a totally different life. You know, here in the United States, the second part of that is that um, we now don't have pension plans. So there's no secured retirement plan. So if you've spent your whole entire career paying off student loan debt, instead of saving towards your own retirement, you end up not being able to fund your own retirement, which makes you rely on things like social security that is questionably going to be there or not be there in the future. So I'm much like you, I, I, I worked my way through school and I went to city colleges and less expensive schools so that I could not have debt, but it, I got into finance early enough to understand what it would mean to have that debt. Um, yeah. so it's just different than the story for the majority of people, unfortunately. Yeah. My, my, uh, granddad was living super, super frugal and always saved even if he earned very, very little. So I had the, the saving and savings rate with me from very early age. And, uh, you've been doing some, uh, work also over the holidays. How much have you saved as a percentage of everything you've earned roughly? Probably 99%. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Uh, uh, of course, he probably got yeah. some, some food from us. I've saved, like, <laughs> I would say in dollars, probably like more than $5,000. Yeah, all the last Just from the stuff that I've worked. I worked during the summer. Yeah. And, and again, for, for those who have not heard from Ivan lately, he's 16, 16 years old. Yeah. Old enough, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm planning to to do a bunch of stuff after I um I finish school when I'm 18. Yeah. So. So uh, that's why I need all this money. You, we we always love this question because people come from so many walks of life on on this podcast. Like we have had quite a few who had never been to university. It's been super super successful despite that. And then people who've been through university. So we got those really polarized views. And you've been to uni. You said yourself. What benefits has it given you later in life? Um, well, I'll tell you the biggest benefit I think here attending in person is networking. It yep. started my career attending university. It's how I, I got I got placed through a school program and, and all of that. Um, I can tell you my mass, my MBA was a total waste of money. It did not help right. me at all, but I can't, I come from a family where like everybody's a doctor. So they're just like, you have to get the highest degree you can, you know? Um, but it hasn't helped me much. The biggest thing that helped me is similar to what you have. I had to go become a certified financial planner to actually yep. give out financial advice. Yes. Um, that was the biggest help for my career. I live and use that certification every single day of my life. Um, and that's been the biggest, but it had nothing to do with university. I would say networking at, you know, talking to people, getting to know people. In fact, if I 
had all the information I do now, I would spend most of my college career taking easy classes and just meeting as many people as possible. Yeah, you would have a very, very big black book who by now people have been in quite senior positions and in need of financial advice. Yes, that that would be the goal. Unfortunately, I worked full time, so I did not do that much networking, but the people I did have the opportunity to know are still people that you know, they have expertise and I have expertise in certain areas and we're constantly, you know, sort of trading information and working together and things like that. I think that's honestly the biggest benefit. All right, so let's jump into any of those books. Ivan, before we give the question to her, uh, what do you think the book is about? When you see the, the title here. Money Matters. Yeah, why, why do you think that's the case? Well, because basically money is how you transfer value. So yeah, good good point. Yeah, very much. How you're not going to do anything without money. Trade trade time. Yeah, money for for time, money for others within reason. Resources. Uh, how how does money matter to you, darling? To me, uh, well, it's my other than being my career. I say it's the pathway to the level of contribution and impact that I wanna have in the world. So for me, more money just means I can help more people, I can reach more people, I can set up programs, financial literacy programs in more countries, more, more states, all of that. That's, it's to me, money is a means to, you know, just the bright level of future and impact that I really envision for myself. Yeah, yeah. And for people who Fantastic. would love to do what you were doing, what's like the prerequisites to actually uh, getting the badge of uh, <laughs> CFP? So, so yeah. you have to go through the CFP coursework and take a test. Uh, when I took it, it was two days and 10 hours long. Um, and they've narrowed it down to one day and six hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you have to work for two years under another CFP. Um, completing all six parts of what's called the financial planning process on an ongoing basis. And yep. then you can get your little badge and, you know, pay your annual renewal fees and Lovely. all of that. And so. continuous learning as well. So obviously, obviously, yes. yes. How are you? Education. Great. Perfect. Uh, and now let's open the book. Uh, let's <laughs> focus on your latest book uh, of, yeah. of the two. Uh, what key themes would you love to share with our audience? Sure. So my latest book, Merging Lives, Merging Finances, is sort of the sec what I see as someone's second financial stage. So sort of the first book is setting up your financial life and foundations of it. The second book is when you're merging it with somebody else, whether that's a partner, a roommate, a yep. future spouse. And honestly, I think so much, so many people, because it's not taught in school, avoid money and finances as a topic. And I've had a lot of friends at this point in my life, unfortunately, people who are close to me who got married to someone and then sort of pulled back, opened Pandora's box yep. and found all the money problems. And if you can have those conversations up front, sort of earlier on, you know, when you're starting to get serious with someone or considering moving in with them, if you can have those conversations sooner, you can prevent divorce in a lot of cases and all of that. I think some, a lot of the conversation, there are conversation topics for each stage of a relationship that I give. So sort of, I'm the 
unbiased third party <laughs> that you get to ask questions from of your yep. of each other because I think it's important to know. And they vary. Look, I mean, I've you know, somebody might be taking care of an elderly parent or something like that, and that eats up half of their income. Like that, those are just things you want to know. Um, but the other things that are harder to sort of just blatantly ask about, you know, do you have student loans? Do you have credit card debt? Those are sort of obvious questions that you want to find out. But the harder things are more around your blueprint around money. So you, as you mentioned, have a blueprint of saving money that you've clearly instilled in your child as well. It's based on a lot of factors, things you hear growing up, things that um, are on mainstream radio, things that are in books or poems that are studied. You know, if you think about things you've heard throughout your life, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. A yep. penny saved is a penny earned. Um, more money, more problems. Money is evil. All these things, they start to formulate how you see your financial life. And yep. therefore, they inform decisions. That blueprint informs decisions that you're going to make with money. So whether you're a saver or a spender has a lot to do with just not just what your parents told you to do, yeah. but also a lot to do with how you feel about money and therefore act from that place. So sometimes you take two people who just grew up really differently, right? You take one spouse who never had to worry about money, right? Grandparents left an inheritance, life yes. was good. You know, we call them trust fund babies, that kind of thing. And they marry someone who had to start working when they were 14 as a janitor and helping their family out and therefore maybe didn't devote as much time to school or learning and, you know, blue collar family type of situation. Yep, yep. They just, you can envision that they have different blueprints around money. And if you can have those conversations sooner, then you can prevent a lot of issues. You know, money is still the third most common cause of divorce in the world yeah I'm, I'm not surprised it's probably the in in truth probably the biggest one uh, i'm guessing uh, so i find it easier well i really like to talk about money number one uh, and uh, especially since i did more and more things in real estate and also i got a peer group in that space it's okay to talk about deals to profit taxes and that helped me so much to be able to do that and also helping coaching mentoring other people on their journey doing the same thing just really accelerate your learning by hearing about other people's money success and problems a really fantastic way how to to fast forward and uh, and surely my youngest son is not on the podcast he also is very keen and interested in numbers so that's why i he knows more about the personal finance than my wife uh, uh, and that's just because he's curious and keen to hear about it yeah um, yeah and you know some people have let's say i've met a lot of people who are like numbers are not my thing or and i'm sure you hear that in other in other spaces no. as well or i was always bad at math or whatever the case may be and they're disinterested but disinterest is a blueprint this idea that you're always bad with or and always will be bad with money yeah. is a belief that you have about that in your life right and so some of it is just knowing knowing like you know your wife may not be interested yeah. but she should still be involved and know just in case you're not yeah, around. Well, absolutely. And, and, and also our blueprints are very different. Uh, our two. So would you say that we are a bit different in terms of how we manage money? Me and Harriet? Massively so. Yeah. Okay. And we pause the conversation there. But with, with that in, in mind, that, that is uh, also very different. When one is like 
for example, accelerating, uh, growing businesses, etc., as like the, the main hobby and profession, uh, and uh, and the other one's got other priorities. That that uh, does create uh, potential tension, obviously. Yes, uh, and I'll say I have that. I'll share. I'll, I'll share. I have that too. So I am throw money at business, let's start a new business, let's start find a new investment type of person, also by the nature of what I do. My husband is let's save every penny we make type of person and not take any risks, right? Yep. So that there's a blueprint for risk taking as well. Um, and you know, that applies for all different types of investing and how you act in, in life as well. Um, just everything that you go about doing. And I met people who are like, I've worked hard my entire life. I want to spend every penny I make yep. and then, and, and enjoy it. And then other people are like, I want to leave everything behind to my children and spend as little as possible because I want them to have more than I ever had. Right. Yeah, There's exactly. so many different ways blueprints can differ between people, which is why it's just so important to have as many conversations about money as possible. You know, when my client is dating someone, yep. I'm like, Bring them in. Let's have a meeting. <laughs> I want to know everything. Let's just get it all out on the table. Yeah, especially the skeletons, uh, which might be there hanging around in, in the <laughs> yeah. wardrobe. Uh, all right. Uh, Ion, does any question come to mind at all? Link to money? Well, I, I just in, enjoy the fact that you're talking about all these different mindsets. Yeah. So let, let, let's uh, let's uh, play a game and a scenario here. So uh, Ivan had a, a girlfriend relatively recently. Imagine that everything that she had and everything you had was just put into one bucket. Yeah, in I don't think that would be good. Uh, and then what happens is she takes half of the bucket and walks. Yeah, how, I know. How, how would that have made you feel? Not very good, but yeah. I mean, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've considered those possibilities. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, then let's, let's do the same scenario with uh, fast forward 20 years and everything that was in the bucket is now times 10, 20 or 100. And the same thing. Pans and then out she again. walks away. Oh, that would be even worse, probably. <laughs> probably, probably. Well, it'd be good for her, but, <laughs> no, you was, know. Yeah. So, um, and again, this goal goes both ways, as you know, uh, as, as well, Veronica, with it can be the woman who's got most of the money as well, obviously. So it doesn't need to be gender biased either. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. And um, it's interesting because that's a big change societally that we've all recently gone through where women are making the same, if not more than men yep. in a lot of places, or there are more men staying at home, being stay at home dads, which is not traditional, all of these not traditional, but all of these things. And I think it's just expectations, right? It's the same conversations. I think it's interesting when people uh, are dating and they talk to each other about, you know, where do you see yourself in five years or what business do you hope to open or what yeah. do you want to do for a living, right? When you're 16 years old, what do you want to do when you, you know, get older, all of those things, but they don't talk about, you know, and how are you going to fund that new business? Like, yeah. are you saving money along the way? Like, you know, some people are like, I've had a lot of friends who are like, I'm just going to graduate college and open a business. And I'm like, okay, with what? Yes. Like, yes. where is the money coming from? Right. And we don't have those next level conversations. Like, it's nice to know what your goals are. It's also nice to know the action plan for how you're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ivan, you've pretty much been planning out like your first year off to school, what you're going to do. And yeah, exactly. Just saving towards as well. So he's pretty much got a financial plan for how to sustain himself for a year uh, and do what he wants. But then you don't have the plan after that year. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, you, you got, do. Have, yeah, sorry, yeah. that's not fair. You do have a plan for that as well. But not, not as <laughs> quite as specific. Yeah. But I think it's also interesting, interesting what you were talking about girls, because like my generation, the girls are doing better in school. So probably in, uh, I don't know, 10 or 20 years, maybe women will be, I, I mean, I don't know if they're going to have be the top 10 richest people. Maybe they will be, but like just the general level will raise for women a lot. And that's pretty interesting. Because yeah. the, right now we have like a whole generation of, of young men that are doing pretty badly in school. And that, <laughs> that scares me a bit. But, but at least I have ideas uh, as to what I want to do. So That's really great. Yeah, and I think it's super cool that women are coming up along the curve. I think it's also just cultural shifts. You know, there used to be in 1950, in the 1950s yep. and 60s and 70s, things were different. Women were not expected to do as well or better than men in school or work or anything else. And the types of jobs you can get used to be different. But now as things have changed, it's nice that, you know, things are sort of leveling out. And it's great for the younger generation. I know I have cousins and all of that. And the younger generation, they're like, what do you mean women don't get paid as much as men? <laughs> that would never happen. You know, like it, the idea of it is impossible to them. So yeah. it's great. Yeah. So uh, you have done two really different journeys in terms of personal developments. So you have done the university, but also you have done ad additional things uh, in the personal development space, which is quite different, really practical. What's like your best learning from the personal development space that you've got so far? Tell you my best learning that I applied. Yeah, uh, most important. Thank you. Relevant. Because um, I've learned a lot. I don't know that I've applied at all. And I think that's really different. But the, the biggest one that I've applied is um, Tony Robbins talks about burning your ships. And I'll give you my very literal example of how, I, how to do that because it yep. can apply to every area of your life. And so I talked about writing a book for maybe three or four years and I never did it. And then I was at a Tony Robbins event, actually, and um, we were right. I was writing out my one-year goals, and the top one was write and publish a book. And this was December fifteenth of twenty eighteen, and so one of my friends in the Tony Robbins community was like, "What are you going to do to get leverage on your <laughs> to make sure that happens?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell so I put up that day, it was December 15th, I had written nothing towards my book, did not know anything about publishing books, didn't know what would go into it or how to make it happen. I put up on Amazon that my first book was available for pre-order and will be released February 1st, 2019, six weeks later. Tough, tough one. So <laughs> I... And then I put a price. So I put the book up for $15.99. And yeah, I yeah. said, you know what? You're, everyone can, can order it now. And I, you have to upload like one page of just garbage, uh, basically, so that people get something delivered. So you can order my book and pay $15.99 for yeah, yeah. paper with a bunch of gibberish on it. Or I was going to make it happen and you're going to get my book on February 1st. Yeah, yeah. And so I wrote my book in three weeks. <laughs> what I was talking about for four years. That's insane. It came out 
ahead of me in three weeks. Of course, I wrote day and night and edited and had yep. to figure out how to do book cover design, all these other things that got in the way, had to find a book printer and everything else. But I made it happen because I left myself no choice but to make it happen. Yeah. It's called burning your ships, right? If you want to take over an island, you burn the ship so you have no choice. So you can apply that. And I would encourage everyone to find, to challenge yourself, find ways to apply burning the ships, right? It's not just during wartime. It's also like any other way you can create that leverage for yourself. So in your case, with your plan, it would be to buy a, a one-way ticket to where you're heading, not a return ticket. For, yeah. vi for visa reasons, you're not allowed to do that, but that would be a great example. Exactly. So you have to earn money in this new space so that you can afford to go to step two. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Uh, great, great, great chair. Just putting um, pressure on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, because if you don't give yourself a plan B, you have no way out of something, especially in business, you will find ways, you will go until you succeed, right? So for me, like in the writing of the book, I had a trip booked and I was on vacation and my husband could tell you, I was like hiding in the bathroom, sitting on the edge of the bathtub, typing my book at three in the morning because, you know, we were on vacation with another group of people and I didn't want to take vacation time. Yeah. So I just stayed up all night and did it and forced myself to do it. And I spent, you know, four days, day and night calling every self book publisher and figuring out who I wanted to work with. And it just accelerated the success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't create it. It was always within me. It just accelerated how I was going to get there. And, you know, a lot of people start businesses, but they don't quit their jobs, for instance. It's like when they say go all in on a business, it's because if you have no other choice but to succeed, you will find a way yeah. to succeed. Yeah, die trying, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and my, my, my first book, uh, I, I co-authored, so we pretty much wrote it four or five times before I actually published it. It was so painful. The process. Uh, the second book I wrote, I wrote like yourself, like seven weeks, getting up one hour early in the morning for like a, a summer, and then it was written. It's not been published yet. Uh, and then uh, the, the third one, we actually pretty much just wrote while we were driving across Europe. So we drove across was that the one you did se the seven countries, and we were speaking, recording, and then we did just uh, transcripted. Uh, and then we 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 are still editing it, uh, but the, the, the third one, just again for people who love to to write and not know how to finance it, that one we actually put out on Kickstarter as mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a project and raised finance towards the book and also some money towards a training program. We have already delivered the training program, but we haven't published the book yet. Uh, and that was one way how you can also pre-sell. And then have the have the gun to your head and have to deliver the book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's uh yeah, you say gun to your head. For me, it just never felt that way. I was just no, like, no, that's good. No, no, I mean it in a in a positive way. It's probably because I've been yeah. spending 16 years with armed forces, maybe. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And the other biggest takeaway, I think, from personal development, um, and I say this for a lot of you know, a lot of people, is like just know what your goals are. Get really clear on whatever it is you want to create. Yeah. I, I do a monthly, you know, goal setting process and I get, you know, how many new clients do I want to bring in? Where am I going to, like, what am I going to do to get them? All these things, like, get really clear. And then, ex uh, what else? Expect the best, 
be and, and expect nothing at all, right? So Tony <laughs> Robbins always says like, trade your expectations for appreciation and your whole world changes, right? And it's, it's so true. It's like, if you expect absolutely nothing, then yeah. everything will, like anything anyone ever does will be pleasantly surprising, right? And you'd be grateful for it. So yeah. I think yeah. there's magic in dropping expectations. Yeah, and, and also depending how you really look upon life. I mean, we've got a relative and uh, he always expect the worst. Uh, and I, I could never live like that. Uh, I always like, I work towards the best. And like, if I don't get it, fine. But at least I, yeah, I, I, agree. I don't I don't really worry about things that have not yet materialized or happened. What, how, what about you? Do you worry a lot about the future? I worry zero about the future. Oh, um, such a relief to hear. <laughs> I would say, look, there's, always, there's two types of people. Either you have a lot of rules or you have no rules. And if you ask, a, or, or somewhere in between, right? If you ask a parent who has, let's say, 12 kids how they do it, very few rules. The more rules you have, the harder it becomes, right? Yeah. So you can take any two people. You say, yeah, and I always ask this question, what has to happen in order for you to be happy or joyful or know that you're living a good life or whatever, right? One guy can say, you know what, or girl, I woke up today, I'm standing above ground, life is good, I'm happy, right? Like that's all, so I'm good. above ground, yeah. today's gonna be a good day. And then somebody else says, my kids have to be all good. Everybody has to be healthy. Everybody that I know has to be happy. I have to have a million dollars in the bank and all of these other things have to happen in order for me to be happy, right? And so if you take someone who's like really negative, right? And expecting the worst, it's probably because they have a lot of rules for when good things happen. And a lot of, and no rules for bad things, right? Like the second the weather isn't perfect, they're like, oh my God, it's the end yeah. of the world, right? We all know people like that. Yeah, and so just have less rules about life. Make it easy to feel good. Yeah, perfect. Great, great example. So the podcast name is Invest in You. What does invest in yourself mean to you? I would say it means doing things that spark joy as often as possible. Whatever that looks like for you, everybody has different ones. Um, I'll use some of my smallest ones, could be petting my dog or cat or playing with them. Bigger ones could be setting up financial literacy programs in urban schools that I know need them. Like they all spark joy. And so for me, investing in myself is just whatever it takes to spark that joy. Yeah, yeah. Our dog certainly puts lots of smiles on our faces For on, sure. on a daily basis. But it could also be stuff that will spark joy in the future. Absolutely. Like your book. Maybe it wasn't the most fun to welcome it in the middle of the night, <laughs> but you know that in two months, I'm going to be really happy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of things that are passion projects are going to come that way. It's the end result, the outcome that sparks the joy, not always the process, right? If you ask me on a day-to-day -day basis, do I love what I do? Like staring at spreadsheets and figuring out internal rate of return for our people's investments? <laughs> Probably not that interesting, but you know, I've been in my field long enough to see, you know, putting a financial plan into action for a client and having them buy their dream home or, um, you know, uh, take their dream trip or retire and pay for 
college for their grandkids or whatever, whatever it is that was like a huge goal for them. Yep. Uh, you know, I've, I've been doing this long enough to see it happen. And that's the magic. It's not the staring at the spreadsheets. It's the bigger picture. Yeah. Now, now let's talk about something slightly more dull. Um, what is the death tax? What's the inheritance tax for, for someone living in the United States of America? Assuming that you haven't done any pla tax planning, what's like the normal scenario? So right now we actually have a pretty large exemption. Ask yep. me again in 2026 and that goes away. <laughs> but because um, it's scheduled to go away. But yep. right now and state by state, it's different. So I'm going to talk about the federal one. But Please. the federal one is if you have more than 11.58 million per person, you owe 40% to the federal government of every dollar you have over that. Yeah. So somebody who has in New York, uh, the estate tax is actually on five and a half million, just over that. Um, yeah. And it's another 10%. So in New York, if you have like $20 million and you're a New Yorker, you're going to be paying something like $5 million to the federal government when you die. Yeah. On top of all the taxes you paid your whole life. So. Exactly, exactly. So in, in the United Kingdom, it's, it's pretty much similar, but the, the, the tax-free amount is way, way, way lower. So we're talking about a couple of hundred thousand pounds, wow. uh, which is yeah. quite painful. So you, you can't die there unless you planned, unless you like to give pretty much half away or 40%. Uh, in Sweden, <laughs> we changed this a couple of years ago. And right now it's uh, it's a good place to die because we don't have any inheritance tax at all, which is very unusual. We pay slightly more instead while we live. Yeah, yeah we, we do, or we do way more. Pardon? I said you do pay more while you're living, but yeah, I yeah. think it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get something for it. Yeah, we got. I mean, uh, when I was younger and I was staying home as a dad, I had like eight percent of my salary for staying home, taking care of my kids. Uh, we do have. That's brilliant. Uh, in in my extreme example, because I've not been living and earning enough in Sweden, uh, I would have a, a decent part of my take home salary as my retirement. That's not really the case. In the United Kingdom, it's, it's really poor system unless you plan for yourself. Yeah, yes, in the like, US. Like, like the US, like the US. Yeah, and, and like in the little summer job that I've been doing, like they're already putting in money towards my retirement. Yeah, yeah. That's so, amazing. I mean, it's not really gonna matter that much, but it's only gonna be a couple of days, but yeah. I mean- still, still compounding for an extra for sure. 10, 15 exactly. years. Yeah. Yeah. it's great it, it, anytime the, the number one advice i always give young investors is invest now even if you're investing 20 dollars into the stock market or something yeah. just start sooner and invest sooner in real estate and stocks whatever it is that you believe in buying just do it as early on as possible because time is time is your biggest friend in yes. this have you come across any clients who are part of the so-called FIRE movement? Uh, financial independence retire early. Do you have any uh, fall into that bracket? Yes, I have many, many, many who fall into that bracket. I have many, and actually this is a, I'll say my generation thing, yep. um, who just only want to work for themselves and yes. create many, many passive income streams, as many as possible. So books fall into that as an example, because you yes. get the royalties, sell, 
creating and selling businesses um, or partial businesses, all of that. I have many clients who fall into that. And that's when the tax planning and estate planning and trust planning and all of that get really fun and creative. That's when I love my job the most when there's, you know, some creativity involved in setting things up. Yeah, we were just transferring a couple of properties from our own personal naming to limited companies. Again, because because of tax changes, all of a sudden you can't deduct the interest payments on your investment properties as a cost, which is like, what? Uh, so we had to do some some financial juggling. Uh, again, by having the right advices, you can save quite a lot of money. Yes, that, that little transition will probably save us. It costs a lot to do, but it will save us like 100,000 US dollars a year, at least in, in savings, which is just, uh, crazy. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, we have a similar thing. So uh, our tax laws that's, uh, that passed in 2018 don't allow state and local tax deductions. You can't deduct expenses that your employer didn't reimburse. So a lot of people yeah. are just setting up companies so they can deduct yeah. those expenses. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. What, what's, um, what's the most popular book that people have read to find you except your own book? um that's a great question i don't know i i i think because i'm in this world i think uh tony robbins unshakable is probably a popular book although my very first book an introduction to finance was actually as a re as something to read about rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki i think is also a pretty popular one yeah yeah Um, yeah absolutely when we ask about books and so on that one pops up very frequently in terms of what what one book that took you from being a traditional employee to something else, whatever that might be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so many out there. I mean, I've read countless ones at this point, but in every, in, you know, there's always a, an opinion, but um, there's just so much reading material. And I think if there's any, any type of investing you want to learn about, you can learn about it in a book. It's great. Cool, cool. Right. So, if people like to find out more about you, your books, or anything around those spaces, and uh, maybe to use the services or whatever it might be, how can people find you in this busy world? Yes. Yeah, so the best and easiest way is on my website, veronicacaris.com. You can also check me out on social media across all platforms. The username is the same. It's at theveronicacaris.com yep. uh, or the sorry, at theveronicacaris. Um, and you can always email me. I'm just veronica at veronicacaris.com. Try to keep it really easy and simple here. Keep it uh, simple. Uh... Fantastic. Or something like that. Yes. All right. Cool. Uh, any last thoughts or comments, Veronica? It's interesting to have someone with a more more general view uh, of uh, of um, finances. It's just like we often interview people who are super um, niched in one thing, and as a younger person, it's a bit difficult to get your head around. So I appreciate that you're more of a that you kept it more general today. And I think we've uh, went into a bunch of different stuff, di- well, different, di- interesting stuff. So thank you for well, that. Thank you. I always like to say I am the quarterback to someone's financial life. So if right. you 
are into American football at all, you'll know what that means. Line of defense, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. So I, I'm sort of the coordinator, making sure that everything goes exactly as it's supposed to. So you don't have to worry about and come up with ideas on saving taxes and yeah, estates yeah. and all of that on your own. I do it for you. So that's Perfect. sort of my specialty. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a generalist. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's in a good way. Good. That's absolutely good. All right. So uh, everyone all over the world, you have been listening to Invest in You. Please try to find at least one idea from Veronica that you, you can apply to your life uh, or dig deeper and find out what else she is talking about in her books or online. And uh, I know that Charlie is not on the podcast today, but he loves five-star reviews and uh, <laughs> and hearing what's, what people think about the, the podcast. So yeah, last thoughts from America today. Nalasa, thank you so much for having me on. I'm wishing everyone a wonderful holiday, a new year and everything else. And uh, hoping for a bright, cheery uh, 2021 ahead. Perfect. Good one, thank you.